When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette-Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel, where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes, chat with amazing guests, and answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at Pod at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about Season 5, Episode 2, On the Outside, Looking In. It was written by Carrie Aaron and directed by Michael Wax. This is our NBC synopsis. To outsiders' dismay, the Lions start their season off strong. We have the one and only Dora Madison Burge, aka Becky Sproles, joining us today. But before we talk to Dora, let's recap this episode. Welcome to Buddy. You like that? Buddy's multi-talented. He's like the Ryan Reynolds of Dylan. He's got his hands in everything. He's got a car dealership. He's got a restaurant slash bar. He's a DJ at El Fuego radio <laughs> station, and he's the number one booster in town. This is a multi-talented man. Do you think he's still ever at the car dealership, or is it like, my name's on there, you guys are good, I'm moving on to these other ventures? It's probably the kind of thing that runs itself at this point in time, I would imagine. Yeah. You know what? What? Maybe Santiago is just still working there and we don't know it. And he's um, like fully head of the car dealership. I think that's probably exactly what's going on. I'm actually not mad at that. I'm going to keep it there. Oh, wait. Actually, Santiago's in Dallas with Meriwether. No, he's also running Ray's Barbecues and Buddy <laughs> Carrier. Yeah, that's what's going on. Okay. I have to say, it seems like it's four of you against Coach now in the most perfect way and that it's almost like Abbott and Costello level comedy where like you guys are the comedy and he's the straight man but it's like four against one. Yeah we got four doofuses as assistant coaches with East Dillon. They're good at football but they are not good <laughs> at life. All these scenes with Coach are really fun to play. We just had a great time. We would joke with each other basically like we were the Keystone Cops of Dillon. Poor Kyle. <laughs> I know Kyle, and I've discussed this before, that Kyle really wanted to be a little bit more, you know, comedic. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you're an actor. When you're playing the comedic character who's kind of a goofball, you always want to play the straight man. And when you're playing yep. the straight man, you always want to play the goofball. Yep. And especially after the fifth season, everyone wants to kind of switch roles at that point in time. Yeah. So there was one day in particular where we were kind of laughing and joking and shooting the scene, and Billy gets to be just a 
total moron. Shocking. Kyle looked at me and he goes, God, I would love to do that just once. Because <laughs> he never got to. Not really. And Kyle's got a great sense of humor and Kyle's got really great comic timing. You get to see it occasionally. What was it in King Kong or whatever where he was the like handsome oh. actor? So funny. But I did an episode of CSI and they brought us in to be like the incredibly stupid storyline. I think I've said it before. I killed a girl with a pork chop bone because we were in a food fight and it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But the series regulars on procedurals like a CSI, they really only get to do that one thing. And they like pulled us over me and my friend Danny and they were like, we would kill to get to do what you guys are doing now. We've done nothing but do like this straight police talk for like 10 years. And I'm like, no, oh, I get it. Spit out all that police jargon. Yeah. Oof. And like, we're just having fun throwing mashed potatoes. <laughs> I totally get it. I would also switch places with you and your secure job, sir. Let's right? go on. Okay. There she is. She's here. Epic. I thought about this because we learned the name last episode and David Hudgens wrote the last episode. And I'm dying to know where David Hudgens came up with that name. You know what, Stacey? I actually spoke to David Hudgens yesterday, and I asked him where he came up with that name. He actually texted me, and he said, we were talking about the character we needed for the season, a young misfit, unguided girl that could frankly be a way into an abortion storyline, which everyone wanted to tell. Another abortion storyline, I guess. Other. And he said, I got frustrated with all the archetypical names that people were pitching for Sally or Betty or Lucy yeah. or whatever. And he was like, no, we need something epic and different. <gasps> and I think Carrie Aaron said, well, how about epic? Like, that's her name. And David loved it. Oh, I love that. And they wound up using the name epic. And then they came up with the spelling, just goofing around, and that was kind of it. But he said he does remember that at one point, Kyle Chandler had said to him something, and they may have kept this actually in an episode. He goes, what the hell kind of a name is epic? It's up there. And that was literally Kyle asking David, and David was like, that's great. Let's keep it in the show. It's like setting your child up, though, because if you don't live up to that name, woof, it's a lot. It's a very coach thing to say. It's the same thing as like Kyle in the morning would cook bacon for uh -huh. all the cast and crew. And then they finally said, well, why don't we just incorporate this into the show? And there's a couple of scenes, I think, in the show where Kyle's just cooking bacon in his office one morning because he had a portable grill. Yeah, there was also that thing where Kyle Chandler was really, really handsome. So they were like, yeah, I guess we probably better use this in the show and just make yes. Coach Taylor really, really handsome. Yes, there was that too. There was yeah. that too. Letters <laughs> of Intent. For Vince Howard, let's look at Vince like a year ago, and I can't imagine he would ever think that this would be the trajectory of his life, especially like it wasn't that long ago that he watched his friend get killed, and now this is happening. Yeah, and I got to tell you, just in watching this scene, I started to tear up just a little bit. There was this huge smile that kind of came across Michael B's face huh. in the scene, and then there was a slight grin that pops up on Kyle's. Yeah. And it was so simple, but so well played by these two actors. It just made me... Super excited for Vince. We always talk about how very few times on this show good things happen to these characters, and this is one of those moments. I'm cautiously happy for Vince because yeah. I don't know what happens, but I know Friday Night Lights. Oh, you know they're going to pull the rug out from under you. I get my heart broken again. Yeah. But I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. And again, because I know Friday Night Lights, there is a cute TA in Julie's class at college, <laughs> and. Just the minute he showed up, I could see what's going to happen. But this is Gil McKinney, who I loved on ER, and I love that he's on our show. Yeah, and this is just another opportunity for our writers to create an inappropriate romance uh -huh. between a, a kid from Dylan and an adult who should know better. This is what, the seventh or eighth time this has happened on the show where one of the kids winds up hooking up with someone who's way older and should not be hooking up with 
college slash high school age so that, people. And it's Julie's second. The Swede was in college, but still kind of shady, you know? Yeah, but Austin Nichols, they did never do anything, but it is a little. Oh, and the Austin Nichols thing. Huh. Yeah, there were three, th Julie. Julie loves a cute older boy. I don't want to be super judgy of anyone. Look, if you were dating some girl in high school and then you went off to college, I get it that you might still have a high school girlfriend at that point. Yeah. If you're like two years older. But I never understood guys when I was in college dating high school girls. And it never made sense to me when I was in high school and the girls that I was in high school with would like go hang out with guys that went to University of Miami. My boyfriend was a swimmer at TCU when I was in high school. Because high school boys suck. I get that high school boys suck and I'm not blaming you, but how old was this guy? Well, he was my boss first. Oh, Mike, you were dating the Swede. Three, four years older than me. We were, we were lifeguards. Shout out, AJ, what's up? Okay. I have to tell you, there are certain lines that are written in the script, especially come season five when they get to know Mindy. Like sometimes they'll write cuss words in the script for me. And I'm like, okay, I know I can't say that, but I get what you want me to do. And this was like, I think it was written in bold type. There's a fox in my hen house and I don't like it. And I knew it meant that they wanted me to say that line. And I hated that line, <laughs> but I said it. And it is now the most quoted back to me line from Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Like watching it now, it works and it's cute. But I had to like have that conversation with myself where it's like the only way this works is if you believe in it and it's honest, Stacey, and do it because I hate it. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be sacrilege and I'm probably going to get slaughtered for this. But you know what phrase I am not a big fan of on Friday Night Lights? Or wasn't it originally? I'm fine with it now. But originally I was like, it's kind of stupid. What? Texas forever. Why? I just thought like, what? Like, why would anyone say that? I don't know. It sounded weird to me. I was like, Texas forever. I'm like, that's just stupid. I mean, now it's on t-shirts. It's everywhere. Was it yeah. scripted though or was it a kitsch oh, thing? Oh yeah, it was scripted. Okay. 100% scripted. Yeah. It was in the pilot. Yeah. Taylor says it. Yeah, I know. He says it at the party by the case of beer or whatever. I just didn't know if it was maybe just yeah. kitsch throwing something out and it became like, cool. <laughs> Technically off camera, I was sitting there. Yeah. You don't see me. And I threw an empty beer can at him and Peeper cut me out of the seat. Yeah, because he knew that Texas Forever was going to make him money. Yeah, he knew he had this <laughs> iconic line. Yeah, probably. But I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't understand what the point of this Texas Forever thing is. It just sounded weird to me. Yeah, you're about to get canceled, Derek. Yeah, probably. Well, it's been a nice run. Thank you guys yeah. very much. Thanks <laughs> for goosebumps happened. Vince and his mom, she was excited. She's out of rehab. She seems very good. There's letters of intent. Everything is happy. And I had that same thing I was talking about before where I was like, oh, it's going so well. <laughs> Something's going to go really, really bad. Well, you know what's about to go really, really bad. Cress Williams is about to join the cast. And he's trouble. Which is good for me because Stacey loves him. Bad for him. He's Vince. a great actor. <laughs> fantastic actor. But man, he is Vince's dad. He's a wrench in their plans, to say the least. I'm going to be honest with you. I was only ever around when he was doing one scene, but I hung out with Chris offset. And he's very soft-spoken and so mm. nice and so fun that I am super interested to see who he plays because I actually don't really know who Vince's dad is. He's a great character. I hesitate to even say anything about him because he's a very three-dimensional character. You know, I think he loves his son, but I think that there's also, you know, this guy comes from a bad background. But I've also fell in love with him on Grey's Anatomy and all these other shows, and I've narcos. I'm excited to see him play a bad guy because he's so nice. <laughs> he's also looking out for his son, but maybe looking out for his son and also looking out for his own self-interest and kind of gets in the way of Vince's potential and becomes a big foil for Coach, I think, in a lot of respects. I have no idea about the story. I don't though. want to tell you too much no, about I'm it. I'm actually really excited. I liked seeing Tammy out with friends. I think maybe she's getting a little bit 
hazed. I'm excited that nobody tried to kiss her this time. <laughs> but maybe that our friend Lynn Blackburn is maybe being like an actual buddy. Yeah, it was nice to see her out and not get sexually assaulted by another faculty member. It was, it was nice. <laughs> it was refreshing. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to put it in my top 10. Top 10 favorite lines of Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. I traded my pig for you. Ah, uh, yes, it is the most romantic thing ever uttered on Friday Night Lights. It uttered, uttered. Ugh. You see that in the end? I like that. That's great. And he said, "Cause Tink fell in love with the pig." So he wanted him. That whole thing made me very happy. You know who actually has a pig, and the pig lives in their house? Who? The guy who played Guy Raston on Friday Night Lights, Joey Oglesby. Joey has a pig now. Yeah. The pig's name is Miss Pickles, and it lives inside their house and sleeps with their Great Dane. You guys, if you could see Derek's face right now, you are not happy about this. Hey, it's not my house. Do whatever you want to do. I do not eat pork because I love pigs so much, and now I'm going to go stay at Joey's house. I would love to see these two animals interact. He's got a Great Dane and Miss mm-hmm. Pickles the pig. But they're besties. Yeah, besties. Oh my God, this is adorable. And they sleep in their bedroom. Why are they not viral on TikTok, Joey? Come on. I don't know. What's I'm happening have to with talk you? To you about it. Okay, I really do love this scene. Me waiting up for Becky at home. I love that they wrote it just me, that it wasn't Billy yeah. and Mindy. It's like no Mindy's laying down rules because if you're going to live here, this is what's going to happen. And like, you're a young girl and I do care about you. So go to bed. I really love this scene too. The two of you guys are great in it. And that little grin that pops up on Becky's face in the yeah. end is just spectacular. Because you know that this is the first time in her life that someone's actually taken any time to care about her or wonder where she is or set ground rules. And I think it's going to be good for Mindy too. You it know? becomes great for Mindy. She needs a project. And I think you're right. I love that Billy's not there sticking his nose in it. He's just in the corner sleeping. It's, yeah, it's just the girls. And then, like, I'm laying down yeah. some laws. It's in my house. Okay, any West Wing fan is going to be with me. And if you don't know West Wing, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But when Coach went up to that board and wrote State, I had very serious Let Bartlett Be Bartlett vibes. What are Let Bartlett Be Bartlett vibes? There is a thing where they're trying to decide who they want to be in their administration, and Leo just writes down on a napkin, Let Bartlett Be Bartlett. And it's like, Uh. let the president be the incredibly smart Nobel Prize winning man that he is, and then stick it on a board, and then that's their plan for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think by coach putting state up on that board, he's letting these kids know, I've got faith in you. Like, how good do I think you can be? How good do I think we are? I think we're good enough that we can win state. And I think for these kids, the first step is believing it yourself. Yeah, I get goosebumps watching that scene. It just tells you that coach has faith in this team. It was so good. if the team has faith in themselves, I think this team can go the distance. And a lot of these kids who haven't had a teacher like that in their lives who believes in them. I think that's what gives me the most goosebumps is the idea that this Bad News Bears group, mm-hmm. this ragtag organization, they just needed somebody to tell them that they were special and that they meant something. You're, yeah. You know what I mean? You're good. I believe in you. Let's go work. That you're good enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coach Taylor. Jesus. He's a Mulder of men. A Mulder of men and handsome as hell. All right, Stacy, we got to stop yapping. We got Dora coming up. Yeah, my baby. Let's talk to Dora Madison Burge, everybody. Stick around. (laughs) 
Stacey and I are thrilled to have Dylan's favorite beauty queen contestant and our favorite TV roommate, Dora Madison, a.k.a. Becky Sprouls, on the show with us today. Dora has been seen in dozens of films and TV shows, including The Lion Game, Southland, Dexter, Ironside, Starcrossed, Chicago PD, NCIS New Orleans, Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Night of the Babysitter, What Would Diplo Do, Into the Dark, Dark Web, Lapsus, Big Boys, and Christmas, Bloody Christmas. Dora, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's really good to see I wanted to jump right into it today. You grew up and actually you were born in Hutto, Texas. Is that correct? Yeah. So, well, technically I was born in Round Rock, like, but that's like splitting gotcha. hairs. But like Hutto at the time, it was like super small and like didn't even have like a hospital. <laughs> the Hutto Hippos? Yes, the Hutto Hippos. But you know what's funny is that like I didn't go to school in Hutto. I went to like private school in Round Rock. And I think... It's interesting not to like dive too deep too quick, but it's kind of, I was reflecting on sort of like my time on the show because I knew that we had this interview coming up and it was kind of interesting how like our lives kind of like inform like the characters we play and stuff. Cause like I lived in this town and like my older sisters all went to school in Hutto and they won state volleyball and they were cheerleaders and like they were doing the whole thing and boyfriends and pickup trucks and parties and stuff like that. But then I went to school 30 minutes away at like a private Christian school that like didn't really have any of that. I was like in it, but I wasn't of it. And I kind of feel like that's exactly what's going on with Becky through her whole like process and stuff is because she like lives out in the middle of nowhere. She has no friends. (laughs) And then like by the time they find her and she's in school, she's like, clinging really hard like she's trying to be involved in everything but her only friend is like a what 20 year old alcoholic (laughs) (laughs) and that's her best friend best friend so many times last season I cannot tell you how many times I was like wait how did Becky get there how did Becky get from one place to the other who drove her what's happening what's wrong with what's happening actually like TV was definitely like her babysitter for sure yeah I hadn't thought about it that way but I went to a private Christian school as well and I went to school in Miami so Miami's a huge town but it felt like you were in this small little microcosm. I had 65 students in my graduating class. You know, all the guys hooked up with all the girls at some point in time and vice versa. You know, I mean, it was like, we've known each other since we were seven years old. It was very incestuous in that respect, but it was also this very small town vibe, you know? Yeah. Even though we were in the heart of Miami, but I remember, you know, when I was in school, they're saying, I feel really sheltered from the rest of the world. Like I haven't seen anything. You know, in some respects you are, but you're still growing up in Miami. Yeah, I went to like a religious school. So like Mm -hmm. people weren't really like partying or anything like that. But it was it was really interesting. It was just like weird because you're in Texas where like sports and everything are supposed to be king. But you're going like a school that doesn't even like have a weight room for their football team. You know what I mean? I was literally across the street from Round Rock High School and you would see their teams and stuff like that, like in their jerseys. And they just like, they looked like giants. Like literally, it was like, how are we like the same age? I don't know if there's like a metaphor there about when you stunt someone's mind, like (laughs) there's a growth. It's possible. I got a mixed bag education. Like I'm really good at memorizing dialogue because we had to recite like chapters of the Bible from memory. (laughs) But like our like science books were also oh, six thousand years old. I was learning a very limited scope of the world. For our fans out there that don't know, Round Rock's about thirty minutes north of Austin. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. If anyone's from that surrounding area, you just like claim Austin as yeah. their home. Yeah, for sure. So when did you know you wanted to be an actress? 
So I'm really close with my cousins because on my mom's side, we're all within the same like few year ages of each other. Mm -hmm. And my cousin, Alicia, she's actually only like a day older than me. And she grew up in Denton and it's like a pretty like artsy fartsy town and stuff. So she was always like doing musical theater, dance, jazz, tap, everything. And she kind of grew up as an only child. So like her parents like had a lot of like attention on her. And so she was doing modeling and acting and all these things. And I'm the youngest of seven, but six of us grew up together. So like during the summers, I went to summer camp one year, but my parents would just send me to my cousin's house for like months at a time. And I was like, <laughs> from my, my different cousins in like the DFW. And I just started going to like her photo shoots with her and would help her like memorize her lines for acting class. And I was just kind of like learning about it. Obviously, like I watched a lot of TV. And so I was always very obsessed with movies, but she was like my first person who I saw of like, oh, this is like a thing that people do. Not so much of, oh, those are just like figures on the TV, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're starting to conceptualize things. So I think that was kind of like the moment for me Especially when you're, I guess, kind of like lonely, like there was a lot of people in my house, but everyone was very busy. So it was pretty lonely. And so, yeah, I would just like watch TV a lot. And also like when you live in a small town and you can't drive and you want to be anywhere but your house, you're like, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to be famous and I'm going to leave this town and I'm never coming back. Like every time you like are mad at your mom or you like fight with your brother or whatever. I still feel that way. (laughs) How did FNL come into your life after that? Well, it was filming in Austin. Were you cast out of LA or Dallas, Stacey? Dallas. So I started acting when I was 12 and like got represented locally. and, And then literally it was just a bunch of auditioning for whatever was in town. And I had met Beth because, I mean, there's only a handful of casting directors, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had just met her through auditioning at her office a bunch, like over the years. And I think I had auditioned for FNL maybe once or twice before for like rally girls and stuff, but I was <gasps> underage at that time. And I'm really glad that like, I never got like a day player role or something, you know? I gonna say, can you imagine? It would be so different. We had Beth Sepp go on and she talked specifically about you. She's like, I had met her a while ago and it just, I was trying to find the right project. I couldn't find the right project. And then she read Becky and FNL and she was like, nope, this is hers. This is the role that's gonna be yours. Like, and she finally found something for you because she had been just waiting for it. She's so sweet, you know, and the thing is, too, is that, like, there's a little bit of discourse right now between actors and casting directors because of the whole, like, self-tape scenario. Also, too, like, everyone's a coach at something on, like, TikTok and stuff, and so there's a lot of people, like, spreading misinformation about the relationship between casting directors and actors, and that's a prime example of, like, you know, I wasn't best friends with Beth I was a child I just saw her professionally when I was auditioning for things but over the course of I don't know how old I was when I first met her but like a few years three or four years at least of just thinking man I audition for this person all the time they must not like me or whatever but to know that like someone's literally keeping you in like the back of their mind and like in their back pocket and they're like one of these days like there's gonna be an ace for this person I know it and I legitimately don't think that I would have booked that role if it hadn't been for how strongly she advocated for me because at first I was called and I was told that I had a call back in LA for it 
And then I was called a few days later and being like, actually, they're doing another like round of auditions. Like, and I got that call, like, I want to say a couple of times. It was like a huge tease. And you're just like riding this roller coaster of like, oh, I think I got another. Oh, man, oh, I think I'm going to, you know. And so they were basically trying to be like, surely we can find this girl in LA. Like this nobody that no one's ever heard of. Why are we going to fly them out and do all that? You know, it's all a money thing. That's like their job. Everyone's doing their job. It's not like a conspiracy. I know her now as an adult because we've worked together longer. And I just know that she is the type of person who was like calling every day and being like, I really think you should see her. I really think you should see her. And honestly, if it had been someone else that was just like, okay, you know what I mean? She like, she really went to bat. And I was thinking about you, a lot of the standouts on the show were local talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talk about it all the time on the show. I mean, you talk about Liz Michael and Brad Leland and I mean, Stacy, myself, Angela, Renee. And like, I was just thinking about like, Beth is good. She's so good. She's so good. She's so good. Yeah. And I love her. So yeah, really, that's how FNL came to be. And it's actually really funny because I literally just graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And I was two weeks away from like going to college. I had been to orientate everything. You were going to University of North Texas in Denton, following your cousin, right? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Honestly, I was just kind of like, oh, I'll just study film or psychology or something. And I always kind of knew I was like, I'm just, I'm going to end up in LA. So whatever I have to do until I get there, I know, like, I know that I'm going to be doing this. I either am like very sure of my destiny in this world, or I suffer from illusions of grandeur and I need (laughs) to talk to somebody about it. (laughs) (laughs) My dad and I, we used to joke that D was for diploma. Just get your diploma. You know, I remember calling him when I was a sophomore in college and being like, I'm done. Like, I just want to go move to New York and act. And he's like, all right. And let's pump the brakes there. Just get your diploma and then you can go act, you know? And you kind of wound up doing what I wanted to do, which was just hit the ground running. It wasn't necessarily intentional. I mean, I was just in the process of auditioning locally for so long. Like I started auditioning when I was 12 and I booked my first big job when I was 18. Even with some of my friends, like they're like, oh, well, not everyone gets a job at 16 that having never done anything before. And I'm like, I had to get through like hundreds of no's. I don't think I had done a feature yet. I had done short films and I had done a couple commercials. I wasn't a child actor. I like went to school. I was super regular. I never even been to California until they flew me out for my callback. Yeah. Everyone's journey in this business is different, obviously, but it took me probably nine years of being out of college, pounding the pavement nine years before I started really making a living in this business. Yeah. As you said, you started at 12, you did six years, you put in six years. That's a lot. We talk about it on the show, like all the time that a lot of these younger actors that were on the show kind of got the show immediately, but it wasn't immediately. It took Taylor six years too. I mean, same with Annie Palicki. Annie Palicki was working, but Annie Palicki wasn't, you know, making a living as an actress. She was working at two goes in LA, you know, (laughs) what was your actual audition experience like when you auditioned for the show? Because I think Pete Berg was down there and Taylor Kitsch was maybe in the room with you guys. Oh, I had my first audition with Beth and I only actually maybe think I did it like one time. And then she's like, okay, thanks. You know, and it was just like another one of those like, uh, but I was, I felt kind of buzzy and excited. I was like, I killed that, you know, and (laughs) I got the whole, yes, you are, yes, you're not, yes, you're not, like back and forth for like a week or two about whether or not I was even going to get to go to LA for the callback. And then I go to LA for the callback and yeah, it was Pete, I think Jason and Linda were there and Taylor. Oh man. 
Yeah, but Taylor was there. Yeah. 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 And so it was just like a lot of anticipation, you know, like you're flying out. It's like all this excitement going into it and you're just like doing your lines a bunch and whatever. <laughs> it was really funny. I walked into the waiting room and there was two girls there. One was Lucy Hale, who at that time, like was already like, I'd seen her in a bunch of stuff. So I walked in and I was like, dang it. You're so excited. And you're really like, I got this. And then you're like, that's my competition. I'm never going to get this. Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like, I really like started getting very nervous mm -hmm. at that point. And then I went into the bathroom and then I come out and the girl washing her hands this girl Chelsea Ricketts who's also really really sweet a really great actress model but I knew her locally from Texas but like she was like you know there's always people who you just think are so much more shiny than yourself like my cousin was that person for me you know what I mean like she was like blonde and had green eyes and was like a ballerina and could play any instrument and whatever and I was like chubby and I wore my brother's clothes like I was definitely an ugly duckling for like most of my adolescence yeah and so then I see like the Abercrombie model girl. And I'm like, damn it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it almost felt familiar. We we're like, oh my God, hi. We like hug each other and we're like, well, now I'm happy either way. As long as it's not the other girl, you know, when I <laughs> yellow alliances. We're like, Texas, yeah. They were wearing almost the exact same outfit. They were both wearing like a wife beater, like kind of tank top and like cut off shorts and cowgirl boots. And I was wearing, I have terrible taste in fashion, like really, really bad. And I was wearing like a turquoise high-waisted skirt, a really obnoxiously bright like pink or like coral top and like sandals. I was like, why am I wearing sandals? Oh my God, I should be wearing cowboy boots. Like I was totally freaking out. And then I went first. I was the first one that had to go in there. And so like, I think it was just honestly adrenaline and preparation, obviously, because I just knew my stuff up into that point and yeah so I did it with Taylor a few times and we kind of like improved a little bit here and there not really and then they're like okay cool and then like I left and I like get in the car and I'm like on my way to the airport it's such a funny story but my agent calls me and was like hey are you on the plane already and I'm like no I just left and they were like okay we'll turn around and they want you to back and I was like okay <laughs> and so we did and I had like the coolest driver. He was like, oh, I think you're going to get it. <laughs> I loved him. Oh, also the funny thing is that like my hotel room that I stayed in, it's Hotel Ziggy now, but it used to be called the Grafton, I think. When I got into my room, when I first got to LA the day before, I like opened my blinds and my view was like of a brick wall of like the building next to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I hope this is the one that Trevor's going to be like. Anyway, so I went back and they were like, oh, I realized that like, we do a lot of improv on the show and you were really funny before, but we need to see if you can handle something dramatic. And so I'm just going to make something up and you're going to do it. And so then what's his name? Peter was like, I think he came up with this like scenario of like that Tim was taking me to school and I see this teacher that I was having an affair with or something like that. And I'm like, or who's been harassing me and I have to convince him to like take me away or whatever you know and of course he's like get out of my car get out of my car you know and like Pete's just like throwing out different scenarios like oh he's coming towards the car oh okay you've driven away now you can tell him what really happened all right now tell him and so he's doing this all while we're still acting the scene 
and it ended up like being like something like dramatic and like crying and like just basically talking about all of that yeah and then they were like okay cool that was great and they're like oh my god thanks like it was really nice to meet you you know <laughs> like so weird <laughs> I think but, that may be my favorite audition story that we've heard on the show so far. Well, I missed my flight. <laughs> so I had to stay another night. So they had to book me another room. And when I stayed in my other room, I had like a balcony. The Hollywood sign uh, right there. And you've <laughs> made it. Fairy tale moment, like in my life when I look back on it now. And then I found out like a couple weeks later that like I got the part and stuff. But I just like, I kind of had this feeling. I just like knew. That's yeah. awesome. When you were describing walking into the room and seeing your competition, I've had that so many times. I was up for a role on All My Children, a series regular role. And I'm feeling like I got this. I know it backwards and forwards. I'm really confident. And I walk in the room and I sit down in the waiting room. And the guy sitting across from me was Josh Duhamel. Like, I'm not beating up that guy. Auditioning for musical theater, I find, is the worst because you sit in a room and you can hear every girl ahead of you singing. And I'm just like, God, but they're so good. I don't sound like that. And I like psych myself completely out the worst but sometimes you know what you're what they're looking for for whatever reason like they don't want maybe the shiny person or the person that is perfect pitch or whatever like it's just really a testament of like not taking yourself out of the equation or like looking at a character description and thinking like oh that's not me and you just like gotta show up and do you really there's a very very mature in words you're obviously you're a mature grown-up woman now but like I just maybe learned that last year and I am much older than you <laughs> I've had those moments of like there's no way in hell I'm gonna get this or oh they're gonna want someone that's this or this or that or they could be choosing a model or whatever and it's like okay well maybe they didn't want a model they wanted you like I think the moments that we're like we try to like be something else or put on whatever like people can really like sniff out someone who's inauthentic like a mile away 100 when you were describing the whole entire story of actually being there in a turquoise shirt or turquoise skirt or whatever it was and sandals it was like not to throw a bad light on these other women who were auditioning but it seems like they were trying to give the cliche version of what a texas person is and here it is you're a person from texas and this is how you're dressing so there was just an authenticity to whatever you brought to it no one was getting cast off of that outfit that i wore like it was my like 2000 whatever going out outfit when i was like going to college parties it was very bright very neon <laughs> <laughs> i love it i think like for becky the thing that made becky becky and what makes me me up until that point and maybe still today is her crippling loneliness and her just like insatiable need to feel loved from home and so even someone who can't stand her she's like <laughs> You think you're not going to love me? My mom doesn't really love me. <laughs> I have been earning affection my entire life. So like the challenge of like Tim and her becoming friends is a really funny journey. The Abercrombie model probably couldn't relate to that. Like she had nice parents who loved her. And I have nice parents and they do love <laughs> me. Like everyone experiences a different base level of emotional care. Kind of like the hierarchy of needs or whatever. I can't remember what it's like called. And I learned a lot about like early childhood development, like whenever I was pregnant with my daughter and like the most important thing a baby needs 
literally besides like food and like shelter is warmth and affection and love and connection with their caregivers or with their father, with their parents. The bonding aspect is like the most important thing. And it actually is what helps their brains grow. So basically when a human being is like, in positions of like instability or like they're being switched off between like their sympathetic and their parasympathetic nervous system, they literally cannot retain information or be creative or whatever. And like up there on those knees is like food, shelter, emotional connection. Speaking of love, what do you think happened with Luke and Becky? I don't know that Luke and Becky would have ended up together. I personally think that like he probably like went off to the war and I think they probably tried to make it work for a while. But I think like eventually I like to think that Becky like went to college and like got out and like got herself like a cute little career doing like event planning, (laughs) maybe dabbling in a little MLM pyramid scheme. (laughs) I think that she definitely like loved Luke and stuff. And cause I recently rewatched the series from start to finish because I had COVID and I was just like rewatching everything and kind of like remembering and seeing how everything like fit in. There's this one scene where Luke is coming to terms with the fact that he's not going to be like a college football player and that he's probably just going to end up being a farmer like his dad. And he like asked Becky if she would be cool with like living on a farm, you know, and kind of like having this moment. And she, me, I say yes, but I remember very distinctly even now saying yes and not meaning it. And I don't think that Becky meant it either. But I think that she knew that like he needed that and she never wants to lose out on any love really, you know? And so she says, yeah, I could end up on a farm, you know, but I don't think that she actually would. Like she probably would have maybe if he doesn't like go off to the military or whatever. Like I think it's something that could happen because she's kind of someone who life is sort of happening to her because she's desperate, you know? But yeah, I don't see them ending up together, honestly. But I do think that Luke always kind of has like a, oh. They definitely hook up at the reunion, right? That's definitely what happened. (laughs) Luke cheats on his wife to hook up with Becky. (laughs) Oops. Um, And do they have another pregnancy scare at the reunion? That's... <laughs> For sure, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite storyline on the show? Well, okay, so personally, I thought it was really cute when I was Tinker's rally girl with his like giant t-shirt and stuff like that. When like Luke was hoping that I would be his, and then I was like Tinker's and like I would wear his like big jersey like a dress. I personally love Tinker, but I think in terms of like, oh, my arc on the show, my favorite was the stripper stuff when Becky was working at the strip club with all the girls that was the most fun beauty pageant was maybe the most fun day of filming i've ever had we were having a blast that was really fun but i think like dramatically in terms of like the story was i think when people mostly think of my character they think of the abortion storyline like i feel proud of that storyline just because like it is something that's important but like personally the like strip club stuff and the pageant with the strip club girls was the most fun 
I'm completely with you. Those are the two. And I'm like, but the beauty pageant was really good. <laughs> yeah. Stacey and I finished season four season recently four. on the show. So we got to watch those scenes again with you and Connie and the two of you just crushed those moments sitting at the kitchen table, talking to her about what your options are. It was just really beautifully acted and really well done. Yeah. She's so great. I mean, she just gives like the best empathetic stare when you're telling her something it's like very easy to like open up to her she's such a gracious actress and that was another really intimidating day because up until that point I don't think I'd had any scenes with her so it's intimidating coming into something that had already been on for three seasons and that at that point was already kind of becoming like iconic for like lack of a better word like people like really ride hard for the brand and this was even like after like you know it had like gotten canceled and then brought back because fans loved it so much so you're like the new kid it's your first season and it's your first scene with Tammy Taylor like that's pretty like intense right and I remember like after like the first couple go-rounds when we didn't get up from that table like from the time that we sat down to the time that we finished the scene I didn't actually realize that until just now yeah like she just sat there with me at that table when they were relighting and stuff like that she didn't get up so like I just didn't get up <laughs> you know what I mean she really held the space like very beautifully and I remember I was like do you have any notes <laughs> like because I was such a like dork and she's like no honey I don't have any notes I just love her so much <laughs> that's awesome Stacy and I've talked about this numerous times on the show is actors ourselves and jumping into a show mid-season or midway through their run it can be extremely daunting and sometimes it's overwhelming and sometimes it's like you know you walk on set and you're like hi nobody talks to you what was your experience on Friday Night Lights like when you came in because that's as you said I mean it was an iconic show already at that point in time and you know you're coming in there new kid on the block it's gotta kind of suck I would think it was really nerve-wracking and intimidating but everyone on the show was so cool the crew was really cool and kind and gracious and also I wasn't the only new kid so like me and like Mike connected a lot and like I really connected with Matt Gloria and his wife Michelle yeah so I think we were all kind of like in it together in terms of being the new kids but I was a little bit intimidated like I think more so because like up until that point like Journey and Mike and Matt had all been on shows they were all literally like 10 years older than me <laughs> So like I was definitely the youngest and the newest, like the freshest meat. So it was very nerve wracking and intimidating, but everyone was so kind and so sweet and so cool and really like embraced me. And it's fine that the very end of the show is you running away from me and me crying and you being happy. I know, right? What is that about? <laughs> That's what happens with children, though. They graduate, they go off and they do their own thing and they leave the empty nesters. We were empty nesters, Stace, <laughs> after Dora left <laughs> or after Becky leaves us. Billy's trying to hold it together, too. I thought that was a really fun storyline with all of us. I really enjoyed all those days that the three of us got to shoot together and have this kind of you know makeshift broken but loving family billy is like hilarious like she's making money and she's paying rent and <laughs> <laughs> so awful. There's love there. It's like, oh no, she's, you know, she's helping to pay rent by working at a strip club in high school. 
But like one of my favorite scenes, Stacy, is when you're mad at me for missing curfew and staying out at a party and you're like, that's never happening again. I think you maybe even ground me and I'm like walking away like, oh my God, like I just got grounded. Like someone cares about me. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the things we talk about this regularly on this podcast is that I think the writers just sit there sometimes and they go, who can we stick together that makes no sense? And then they go, oh, that's a great idea. And there's wonderful storyline that comes out of it because you're sitting there probably at the start of season five. I remember getting the storyline. I'm like, what? Becky's moving in with us. I was happy to have storylines since Taylor was gone, but I was like, this is odd. Like what? But (laughs) I loved it. It turned out great. I enjoyed working with you every single time that we had the opportunity to do it. Oh yeah. We had a lot of fun. I honestly, it was just such a great show. Like it was very much a charmed first experience into the world of what it means to like be a professional actor, you know? And I'm sure like y'all both know that once you get on certain sets, I don't know, like the energy is just rank and you're like, y'all know that movies are fun, right? You guys could be having fun right now, but you all hate each other and this feels weird. Yeah, like we all tried really hard to get here. Like, what are we doing? You know, like where the vibes are just off kilter, but like the vibe on that show was just so like, blessed it feels like a nostalgic like summer camp movie there is a running joke in the business how do you make an actor miserable give him a job (laughs) i mean you see that a lot like you get on these sets sometimes and it's like these actors like oh everything's terrible and they're complaining and they're bitching and they're moaning and it's like dude all we do is work our butts off just to get to this place and you've never been more miserable in your life and it's like come on i mean i've had that experience before it was like my first experience working on a procedural and it kicked my ass. It was really, really intense. Yeah. But also, like, when I think about, like, Law & Order SVU, obviously love that show. Who doesn't love that show? Like, Olivia Benson. Yes. My baby actually, like, dances to the theme song. <laughs> Send like, me that video. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I was like, if I, like, don't start watching something else during the day, her first words are going to be, like, sexually based offenses. <laughs> <laughs> loves iced tea she gets really excited whenever he gets on screen but like I think about doing like rape and murder for 20 years and you you do understand that like yes you are so grateful and everything like that too but then when like sometimes when you're like just like in the arduous thick of it or like if people are acting crazy on the production side or whatever I think it can get like really overwhelming especially when you're the only person there whose job is to literally be emotional constantly like switching between like emotional highs and lows of like oh I just imagined a baby died in my arms but now I'm over at the crafty table you know it gets to be a lot and you don't really get personal space on sets everyone thinks of like an actor's trailer but an actor's trailer is like where they never want you to go back to (laughs) they'll keep you on set for eight hours doing nothing and they won't send you back to your trailer you know and you're just like I just need like a little moment alone (laughs) you know I think in talking about like Law and Order SVU and all those shows that do work, because I literally was just on there a year ago and it's like you guys have been doing this for 23 years and everyone was still awesome and cool but I think honestly 
it comes from the top down. If number one and number two on the call sheet are cool and they're chill and they come to work, ready to work and happy to be there, I think it creates that environment for the rest of the cast. You know, Peter Berg and Connie Britton and Kyle Chandler kind of set the standard of what this show was going to be and how people should act when they're on it. And, you know, for me, it was one of my first gigs, definitely my biggest gig up to that point. And so for me, it was just like, oh, that's how you act on a film set. And then when I got on sets that weren't that way, I was like, oh, I didn't know there was another way to be. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is too, though, is that like the best sets and usually the best people to work with, like the most fun to act with, the most talented people really are kind. And yeah, Hollywood can be like cutthroat or this or that and stuff. But like, honestly, I can like hand to Bible say that I've met more beautiful, wonderful, sweet, kind, cool people than I have horrible people. I think like there's a lot of, I don't know, misconceptions and ideas because he was really nice to everyone that day. Does it make like a splashy headline? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would say 99.9% of the people that I've met in this business have been amazing, but it's that 0.01% that you wind up talking about that you share stories about, you know, nobody goes to set and says, oh my God, so-and-so is so nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sing Kyle Chandler's praises. I mean, like, as I said, this was a learning experience for me. The first day I ever worked with Kyle, he said, hey man, what do you need from me in this scene? And I was like, dude, you're number one on the call sheet. What do you need from me? You know, but number one, it gave you a sense of ownership, even as a guest star on a show. And number two, I think you go in there at that point. And now as an actor, you're comfortable because you've had this person introduce themselves. Every single time we had a guest star or a co-star on the show, Kyle would go immediately over to him and be like, hey, how you doing? I'm Kyle. Nice to meet you. And then that person comes in there and it's like, okay, now they're feeling a little bit more comfortable. They're not nervous because all of us get nervous on a guest star. All of us get nervous being the new person. I don't care how many years you've been in this business. It's just a little thing remember somebody's name too. Justin Chambers on Grey's Anatomy. From the minute he met me, like always just called me Stacy. And I'm like, you meet a million people a day. The nicest person I've ever met in my life. It really just makes a difference of like the whole vibe. And I've been on, you know, shoots where like people are like fighting and they can't get along. And we're like, yo, like we're making a movie. I've been there too. Let's the three of us just go shoot a movie. (laughs) Before we go, any moment on Friday Night Lights or anything that you want to talk about or a favorite moment that you want to share or it could be offset. I would definitely say that the rap party night was like the most fun. Like we were tearing up that hotel. Good time. I was high on life and drinking seltzers because I was still only like 19 at the time. I was on La Croix. La Croix. It's great talking to you. This was fun. I know. I miss your face. (laughs) Thanks. It's nice talking to y'all. Great talking to you too. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Guys, that is it for season five, episode two. But please join us next time for season five, episode three, entitled The Right Hand of the Father. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Orestano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Orstano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.